This is Medicaid Leadership Exchange, a podcast where Medicaid directors and other guests get frank about what it's like to steward the nation's largest health insurance program. Through Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program, 56 agencies administer a complex web of programs that provide access to essential health services. Listen in as we explore some of the challenges Medicaid leaders navigate and their top priorities to deliver services and build health. Being a public sector leader means converting challenges into opportunity. In a previous podcast, one of our guests summarized this as not letting a crisis go to waste. Today on the Medicaid Leadership Exchange podcast, we are joined by two extraordinary Medicaid leaders to talk about two areas of significant challenge, those including improving services and quality of life for older adults, as well as addressing the direct care workforce shortage, two issues that have known to be a challenge for a long time, but have become even more complex and more challenging after the pandemic. So today we hope to hear from Michigan and Indiana about the journey that they've been on to address these challenges and the partnerships and stakeholders that they've engaged along the way. So I'm happy to uh, welcome to the podcast, Allison Taylor, Medicaid Director from the state of Indiana and Farah Hanley, Senior Chief Deputy for Health at the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. We're going to hear from both of them about their work and hopefully explore some of the leadership challenges and opportunities that they have found along the way. So maybe we'll start first by asking why this has been a priority in each of your states. And Farah, I'll go ahead and start with you. Great, thank you. Yeah, it's um, great to be here and uh, we've got a lot happening in this area. So there have been several reasons why addressing the direct care workforce shortage is a priority in Michigan. You know, as I've traveled the state, the number one theme I hear and our leaders here as we travel is not only from the behavioral health, but all providers across the spectrum of the Medicaid program is the challenge related to workforce recruitment and retention. And so this is a priority for our state because we know that in Michigan, we rank third in the nation with the highest shortages of mental health professionals. And so just as every other state, we struggle to hire and retain enough qualified staff to provide those clinical and non-clinical services statewide. And this is no different for the direct care worker industry. They've been at the front line of the COVID-19 public health crisis, and they take care of our most vulnerable. And what we're hearing is that the direct direct care worker staff are tired. They are burnt out. There is what they refer to as compassion fatigue um, and just various other stressors. So it's a priority because it's prevalent. And this is really critical to supporting our critical to supporting our safety net. Um, And we hear a lot about broad categories of the shortages hitting our providers the hardest, and they really center on our nurses and psychiatrists and other clinicians, and third with our social workers. So this is really a a really important focus of ours in Michigan. Terrific. Thank you for that. And, And Allison, your priority has been a slightly larger approach to reform, and it's been long-term services and supports reform overall. Can you share why that's been a focus in your state? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Gretchen. Um, and Farrah completely 
you know, want to acknowledge and recognize the significance of workforce and impacts on our ability to do um, the best for the, the constituents that we serve. So in Indiana, we are really focused on long-term services and supports reform and the many aspects of that that are involved in improving the opportunity for aging Hoosiers to live and receive services in the home and in the community-based setting. And our why for this has been really clear for some time, but it's taken us a while to get here. Um, We, if you take a look at um, the studies show that we typically, Indiana has ranked really very low when it comes to meeting member choice and their desire to age at home, uh, lower quality options and less choice. And so we have really taken an intentional look at um, collaborating across not only FSSA, but across state government and into the communities and into the homes of individuals to really improve their experience so that Hoosiers have you know, better and more meaningful options to age at home, which we know is what they want to do. And so we're, I'm just excited today to talk about the opportunity um, that um, Indiana has and and connect with uh, this great group. So thanks for having me. Terrific. Thank you. So one of the things I heard from both of you is that these priorities were established because you were listening, listening to your providers, listening to your beneficiaries, and you know, really being grounded in the experience of this program or these programs and how they're um, supporting people out in the community. So maybe you could both, and Allison, I'll come back to you first, talk a little bit about some of the stakeholder engagement work that you've done. You mentioned going into people's homes and actually talking with folks. So what have you done that um, has really helped to shape your understanding of the issue and what you're planning to do to reform? Great question. Thank you so much. Stakeholder engagement is so important to agencies like ours that serve our members. Um, We've made a really intentional focus on being member focused and the concept of co-design with our members. And we've applied those principles here with our the development of our LTSS reform in a lot of ways. And it really starts with stakeholders first. So before even getting into program design. We spent two years surveying and having community conversations, talking to stakeholders, families, caregivers, those impacted by our LTSS continuum of services to learn what is going well, what do we need to do more of, what do we need to do less of. Um, And we've, we've continued that engagement through the process. So initially it's, you know, just getting feedback on current lay of the land and then as we got to the point of designing programmatic changes, same thing. You take those ideas, um, plans, and take them into the community, get feedback, and then just continue throughout the process. So we've committed to stakeholders. At this point, we started this work in 2021. We've had over 600 stakeholder meetings, um, and we're not slowing down. That will continue through uh, readiness of program and launch on the back end. So really just focused on, it's got to work for members. And so really trying to honor member experience and um, translate that into meaningful program that really meets members' needs. Terrific. And and Farah, you mentioned, you know, when you and, and other state leaders are out in the community listening, did you all do, you know, planned listening tours or sort of how have you engaged stakeholders to really understand the depth and, and challenge in the direct care workforce in Michigan? 
Yeah, I um, appreciate the question. And really a lot of overlap that what we heard Allison talk about in Indiana we always are soliciting input we have in the past and we continue to from our providers and our associations and we do it formally and informally. So formally, our department is co-sponsor of a statewide direct care workforce advisory committee. And the direct care workforce advisory committee is a broad based group of stakeholders and experts that provides content expertise, advice and uh, strategic direction to develop policies and programs and procedures, as well as short and long-term recommendations for addressing Michigan's direct care workforce shortage. And so that's sort of an example of a formal engagement. We continue to have, you know, weekly, monthly meetings with our providers, and we solicit input from them as well as the associations really just on effective strategies and we've come up with several different means of of communicating especially with our partnerships with universities um, and we've worked with them closely to see if we can specifically have clinical fields supported through scholarship and tuition reimbursement programs you know, it's a matter of making sure that those community college and colleges and universities are at the table as well as your Medicaid providers. So it's a very broad look at who your stakeholder is. And also uh, we have as part of like a, a needs assessment across the board as how as we better think through how to best engage our stakeholders, we have assist we have asked for the assistance from health management associates who is out there conducting interviews in town halls to hear directly from direct care workers what it is they need and even though you know a final report isn't out yet preliminary findings we believe are really going to be that the biggest area of improvement that direct care workers need support in is in reducing administrative burden and that you know we they've concluded really that while the federal government frankly is responsible for roughly two-thirds of that the state can do more to ease it as well so when we have those broader formal and informal stakeholder discussions those are the kinds of answers that we're getting out of them and input that we're using to the, to then formulate our policy. It's really understanding what inspires the worker. Is it money? Is it status? Is it time off? And how we can fold that into our broader overarching strategy as it relates to stakeholder engagement and the workforce challenges we're dealing with. So you all have painted such an inspiring picture of being deeply committed to listening and stakeholder engagement. I want to ask sort of how that translates, how that commitment translates to working across state agency partnerships, right? So, uh, you know, if you hear something like administrative burden, like you just mentioned, Farah, I'm sure some of that's in one department and some of it's in another. And, uh, you know, Allison, individuals who have complex needs that are require long-term services and supports are often served by multiple programs, right? They may get food assistance, they may also get Medicaid services, as well as, you know, Meals on Wheels from the Older Americans Act or something like that. So how has your sort of stakeholder engagement mindset been similar to or different than your engagement mindset with your sort of state agency partners? 
you know, in Michigan, the, the benefit in Michigan, and I believe it's the case too in Indiana, is we've got the large agency where we have our health and human services combined. And so in Michigan, we I believe that in order for us to understand the benefits and broad scale impact of working across other state agencies, we really need to align internally. And so what we've done in Michigan is we've established a Department of Health and Human Services Workforce Steering Committee. And it has a very simple vision, and that's to develop and implement a comprehensive short and long-term strategic plan to address the health care services workforce shortage. And so it's really this all hands on deck approach and the steering committee has, we, we broken it out by various action teams and we're implementing quick short-term fixes as well as sort of strategizing on longer ones. So these teams include human resources, communications and marketing, career path action team, funding action team. So each action team has a group of individuals who's really focused just on those related issues and then developing short and long-term goals to address them. And many of them are gonna take time. So it's a matter of setting the right expectations for what can practically be done sooner rather than later. And that's the internal alignment. Externally, we have partnered with other state agencies to really build and develop a talent pipeline with a focus on our direct care workers. And we're co collaborating with them to build out an expanded public awareness campaign with efforts around reducing stigma to really focus in on the mission of the work. So a lot of, a lot of work happening internally as well as externally. That's terrific. Allison, what about in Indiana? Yes, absolutely. So I have a kind of a funny story, I think, maybe to frame this because it is so important, um, the internal or cross-governmental collaboration. Uh, you just, you can't underestimate how important it is and sometimes how challenging it is because governments, you know, we, they, they do tend to have silos, communication challenges, and it can be, it can sometimes be difficult to, to collaborate on those really complex measures. And I, I chuckle because I think back several years ago when my division of aging counterpart and I were really trying to get this very comprehensive reform underway, we did, um, we started internally with office hours, fireside chats, even between our staff. How does the division of aging staff get to know the Medicaid staff? You know, we're focused on different parts of the system. And so we hosted lots of opportunities to engage and we would open our presentations with a picture of a figure skating duo and they would be doing this like the most precarious, like tricked out, double twist back bend. Gee, I hope, you know, he's going to catch her, will they or won't they? Uh, and it just kind of sets, we, we would open and say, you know, this is tough stuff. We're going to have to dance in a way that it may, it may be uncomfortable and it may be challenging, but um, it's also a really an awesome opportunity. And so we would open that way just to kind of honor that challenging, it can be challenging to collaborate, but also a lot of fun. And so that was early on in the process. I will just mention um, one specific key that we um, within our agency utilized was an objective and key result structure. So, um, and Farah mentioned this, I mean, it's really important to have vision, collaboration, and structure to get the work done. And so we found their change agent for us 
it wasn't the picture that I mentioned while everyone loved <laughs> the idea of the figure skating duo. It really was once we set in place a structure to have um, a clearly articulated vision and objectives and key results that we really started to pick up speed um, and um, have a space where we could bring different division partners, both within and outside of our division, really across government and have a common communication sort of platform about um, goals and objectives. And that structure was just, I think, really helpful to break down silos that can exist um, without that common platform. Yeah, so I'm really struck by you guys keep really talking about the formal and informal structures and mindset that really have supported your collaboration. I want to ask a little about how do you stay committed, right? These are multi-year initiatives. You are going to inevitably have staff turnover, either at the leadership level or at the subject matter expert level. And sort of how have you stayed the course or stayed committed? Have there been leadership tricks or strategies that you've used to really maintain the focus and momentum and not either get distracted or let it drop? Um, so what have you all done in that way to sort of keep the commitment over time? Yeah, in Michigan, we don't have anything really formal in terms of maintaining consistency, but what's, what really I think has worked is when we are hiring, in many cases at the state Medicaid agency and in our Department of Health and Human Services, we will find that there are individuals from the community and out in the field, they might be advocates, they might be from the payer community or the provider community. And as a result of that experience, they're bringing that in as a candidate and as an ultimate employee in our agency with that perspective of understanding of the problems happening out there and really making sure that our mission and our goals continue to be aligned. And so making sure that our department is a well representative of what's happening out in the community, not just from um, a diversity, equity, inclusion perspective, but really from a, an expertise as well, has really served us well in terms of consistency from director to director or administration to administration or even just manager to manager. It's ensuring that we continue to reinforce the overarching vision and to the extent that we can always make sure that the mission is important and the vision is really where we want to be in terms of our North Star, we're able to um, continue that consistency from one, one area of time to another. Yeah, absolutely. So I I will take a more of a maybe internal um, operations view because Gretchen, your question stands out to me. I mean, it, it is tough to be in a division or in an agency and keep the momentum up for a multi-year project. Um, you know, let's throw in the pandemic, you know, operating during a public health emergency as well. And so you are right. You absolutely see turnover in staff. That's a long period of time. So you have folks coming and going and how... Do you, I think that's a perennial kind of Medicaid director challenge. How do you keep staff engaged on the longer term projects? And so I can share just a couple of um, tips or tricks that we've, you know, I think you can always, there's room for continuous improvement. So we're not perfect, but some things we've tried to do um, certainly focus on celebrating. So you've got to pause and recognize the milestones and bring the team together to celebrate wins. We also have tried to play with 
interesting and creative meeting formats. Meeting fatigue is a real thing, right? And so how do you create time and space to celebrate? So through silly rituals like walk-up songs to meetings or different themes, just opportunities to bring levity to um, our time together. Um, we also are really committed to using a, um, a dashboard on performance. So we kind of religiously come back to that. And it's also an opportunity for folks to see progress. Cause I think when you see progress happen, that's what keeps you engaged and inspired um, to continue to improve. And then we also um, have tried to bring in, in addition to the celebration and the levity of it, going back to kind of as Farah was mentioning, reminding ourselves and centering in the lived experiences of the folks that we are trying to serve. And so more often than not, you know, we just look to our own staff who have family members and or are in the situations that we are really looking to improve with our reform. So we've had sessions where we really turn it over to staff to kind of talk about the why, what brings them to the work. And we've gotten really good feedback when we've been able to center again, back to what, what are we trying to solve? How are we making the world a better place? And that tends to be um, a really motivating thing and something that most folks in other professions or outside of our state agency, they can't say that, they can't experience that. And so we'd really try to, to leverage that and really get folks to rally around that unique opportunity and moment that we have to, to make change for millions of Hoosiers. Yeah, I really want to echo Allison's comments, especially operationally and just sort of the day-to-day -day providing that praise. I couldn't agree with you more, Allison. I would kind of build on that as well. In Michigan, what we've really found is at our Department of Health and Human Services, the flexibility that we have in this post-pandemic era of remote work has been really remarkable in terms of our ability to recruit and retain within our own department. And so because we've got that hybrid slash full remote opportunity, it has really been an incredible shift where I have seen over the course of the you know one third of my professional career in this department, we have had people fleeing the department in the sense that it was a lot of work for a big agency. And now here we are post-pandemic, and we have so many people from other agencies coming to us and coming to us from outside the uh, state government as well because of that flexibility. So to the extent that you can provide this attractive a forum for employees to come into, then, you know, with any luck, you end up getting individuals with that community experience, with that, as Allison said, real lived experience. And that I think also really supports that consistency in those efforts there. Absolutely. Well, um, as always, I'm sad to see that our time is coming to a close. Uh, I did want to, before we turn it over to Mark for his final reflections, just ask each of you to give, if you had a you know, nugget of advice or a nugget of wisdom to give to other states who are on this journey to tackle big things, right? Whether it's children with complex behavioral health needs or whatever the, the state issue might be, this work that you all have talked to us today about around really taking a long-term issue, direct care workforce and long-term services and supports reform, and putting the structures in place to, to, work, that, to work that project. Um, what nuggets of advice would you give to other state colleagues that might be listening to the podcast? If I were to give a nugget of wisdom to, to team members, um, I would say 
really embrace the opportunity to tackle big things and be prepared for Indiana. Um, the time wasn't right for LTSS reform for years, and we, but we did not sit back. We knew we wanted to do it. So there are so many things you can do incrementally in terms of preparing, building staff knowledge, um, making connections with other states, gathering the resources so that when the time is right, you're ready to strike. And I think so much about the work that we do, timing is a big piece of it. And so I just, I would encourage you to not feel, there were plenty of times where I was a bit discouraged because it wasn't time to, to capitalize on a big project. It takes a long time to prepare. So really take advantage, be ready and be prepared with the why, the value, um, work the issue and your time will come when you can really activate on major transformation. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, when it comes to lessons learned and what we could offer here in Michigan to other Medicaid agencies and health and human services departments looking to take on bigger challenges uh, related to the workforce. We've really learned a lot about those things that employees are looking for. Things like, and I say employees, you could be talking about direct care workers or nurses or social workers, but it's things like tuition reimbursement and insurance packages and support for retirement benefits flexible schedules. And as Allison said earlier, sometimes it's just praise and a reminder that we're part of something bigger. And a lot of these things do take significant financial resources. I mean, in Michigan, we have 165,000 direct care workers, and it takes 140 million in state general fund for only a $1 wage increase, you know, to really tap into the resources you already have available to you. Talk to your community colleges, you know, have the cell phone numbers of your university representatives. Those are the types of things that you can be doing at a non-financial level. Um, and in Michigan, we did um, provide, uh, we did put in a request to CMS so that we could get Medicaid reimbursement for MSWs who haven't yet received their licensure but are being supervised. And so we're able to get that type of policy in place. Ask your stakeholders to communicate to their local senator or representative. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've asked our advisory committees who are really willing to push to please help us convey messages to the legislature. I mean, we all have a great team here in Michigan working with the legislature, but as we all know, sometimes it's different if they hear it from someone other than the State Department. So just really making sure that you've got that internal alignment through your internal workforce committees and externally with your advisory committees and making sure that you're having those routine conversations with the advocates as well as the providers and payers really key is really key to addressing those challenges head on. Terrific. Thank you guys so much. Mark, I'll turn it over to you you to offer your reflections on the conversation we've had. Well, first, a, a big thank you to the two of you for sharing the stories today. And w one thing that I have been thinking about, and we've all worked in state government, and we know the pressure to have quick answers to complex problems. And one thing that stands out in the conversation today is the, the dedication to the process, even if it takes a long time, to create real solutions to complex problems. And I don't wanna lose that context that and both of you are talking about solutions that aren't simple and no one person can just do on their own. And that's part of the challenge. And then once again, and Gretchen, we hear this all the time, the, the balancing act between the sort of science of cross-sector change, as well as the art 
You know, the, the science is those governance processes, the interagency collaborative meetings, the having clear dashboards with objectives and key results. But who knew that you also need a picture of figure skaters, right? And that, for me, just reinforces that art of being able to know the moment, know your environment, to, you know, create those real human connections, particularly when you want to create that engaging process of co-design, Allison, that you mentioned, that, that really builds solutions in the long term that people can buy into and have their, their time in place. So really appreciate you sharing and, and once again, reinforcing that it can't just be a textbook, right? It can't just be a 10-step guide. If you do these technical things, you're going to be there. Uh, the human work of leaders is important. And thank you for reinforcing that to us again today. Terrific. What an amazing sentiment to end on, Mark. Thank you again for always bringing those insights. And thank you, Farah and Allison, for sharing about your work. We hope that you'll tune in again to more insightful conversations on the Medicaid Leadership Exchange. This podcast is a collaboration between the Center for Healthcare Strategies and the National Association of Medicaid Directors. It is made possible by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Thank you.